Sex. Throughout the Bible, it's proclaimed as a good thing, a profound expression of love that forges a unique and powerful bond between a man and a woman. But along the way, something went seriously wrong. When humanity left their perfect and life-giving relationship with God, sin entered the scene and infected everything. Sin caused people to become disconnected from God, from each other, and from themselves. Sex, the ultimate connection between men and women, couldn't hide for long. Sin grabbed hold of sex and transformed it into something completely unrecognizable. This new form of sex had nothing to do with respect or commitment, and everything to do with lust and control. It was no longer about two people becoming one. Sex became about the desires of the individual, a way for people to get what they want from one another. To put it plainly, sex became a transaction, and so sex strayed further and further away from God's original plan. Fast forward to today, and sex is everywhere. People are obsessed with it. Sex, which used to be a good thing, became an ultimate thing, something that validates one's very existence and the reason for living. And with its new and elevated status came many promises, promises it couldn't deliver, leaving an entire society feeling empty and disillusioned. But like any addiction, the answer is always more, more relationships, more romance, and of course, more sex. And it's in this endless search that we find ourselves. Sex is clearly broken, but it isn't the real problem. It's simply the crack on the surface. The real problem of sin goes much deeper, and its consequences are far more devastating. Here's the good news, though: there's still hope. God can redeem you and your sexuality. Sex. Can be a good thing again. When I ran my landscape business, I would often draw up landscape designs for our bigger projects. We did brick pavers and retaining walls, and planted trees and shrubs and things like that. And so I would draw up these landscape designs. Had some drafting classes in high school enough to get by, I guess, and so I'd pull up my drafting board and give my employees specifics, and I would fulfill the purposes and the the budget of my cl- my clients, my customers, and my employees needed to follow the exact details that I had laid out in the blueprints, and if they did, the customer would be satisfied, I would be happy, and. The employees would get paid, so that was all around good thing. When it comes to marriage, though, often what I've found, though, is and and what I've seen in my friends' lives, what I often see among people who call themselves Christians, and what I definitely see among people who don't claim to follow Jesus at all, is they either don't know anything about God's blueprints for marriage and sexuality, or if they do, many of them have chosen to toss them. Aside and try to fly by the seat of their pants,、uh, try to come up with their own plans, their own blueprints for marriage, for sexuality, and what happens is they're they're not satisfied, they're not fulfilled, they're not happy, and their their marriage and their if they're married、uh, or their relationships often crash and burn and they they hurt each other. Very much. Some of you, maybe you have been、um, hit by the shrapnel of that kind of scenario. Maybe not you personally. Maybe not you ha- have taken the de- the decision to follow、uh, follow your own plan for marriage and sexuality. But maybe your parents did, 
And so for you, um, the pain of divorce, hearing your parents scream and yell at each other every week, maybe every day, maybe physical abuse, emotional abuse, verbal abuse. It was the reality of your home when you were a child, or maybe it's the reality of your home right now. And you're feeling hurt by the fact that people around you aren't following God's blueprints for marriage. Or maybe you don't even know what God's blueprints for marriage are, and you just know that what you see around you is not what you want. And that's what's happening with most people my age. I'm 31 years old. Most people between 20 and 35 are forgoing the idea of marriage altogether and putting on wedding bands, and they just uh, cohabitate. They just live together. They just uh, choose to have the, uh, the, the sexual side of a relationship without the commitment of a lifelong relationship, marriage. Because what they saw in their parents or what they, uh, what they see among their friends isn't what they want. So the, t- the statistics you've heard around about marriage, more than 50% of marriages end in divorce in the United States. That's more than one out of two. In the church, oftentimes what I've heard is it's the same or it's actually higher in the church. That's not actually really the case among evangelical Christians. It's about one-third, which still isn't great. One-third, so one out of every three marriages here in North Park Baptist Church, according to statistics, will end in divorce. I'm, I'm more prayerfully optimistic than that about us. But that's what the statistics show. One out of three in evangelical Protestant churches, one out of three marriages end in divorce. And so the kids see this and they say, why do I want that? And, and we're left wondering why on earth we would want to follow this idea of marriage and God's design. Maybe, maybe that's where you are, right? Or maybe you're in a, a broken relationship, a dating relationship right now. And, and uh, you know that some parts of it are, are not going right. You, you feel hurt. You feel abused. Uh, maybe it's driving you further away from God. Maybe you know you're doing things in that relationship that aren't part of God's design, and you know it, but you don't know how to get out of it. Or maybe your dating relationship has been recently broken. You've broken up, and you're in the, 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 the wake of a broken dating relationship, and you're wondering, why bother? Why bother with this? That's where my mom found herself before she met my dad. She hated men. She didn't want anything to do with guys anymore because it had been abuse and hurt and pain. So maybe some of you are in that situation, or maybe you've come here tonight because we said we're talking about relationships, sexuality, and marriage at church, and you're going, Wait, I want to hear, out, hear what Pastor Michael is actually going to say about this. Maybe that's why you're here. And you heard maybe something about how we're going to propose a document for our Constitution. You want to find out what on earth Pastor Michael is talking about on that regard. And that's okay. We're, gonna, we're glad you're here tonight, too. So, um, but this, this big question, though, what is God's design? What are God's blueprints? I, I talk about this, this specificity of detail that was necessary to complete a landscape construction project. Is it really also available for, for marriage, for sexuality, for relationships? What does God have to say about this? What does God have to say about marriage and relationships? 
And that's the question that I want us to walk through together tonight. We're going to walk down the story lane of God's love about relationships and marriage through two passages. There are lots of other places we could go in the Bible to talk about marriage and sexuality. Lots of other places. And some point in time, uh, in the next 70 years of me being your pastor, Lord willing, I will preach through the Song of Solomon. I will um, walk through other passages that talk about marriage and sexuality. I, I preached a message three weeks ago from 1 Peter chapter 3 about relationships the Jesus way. Uh, we're not going to go to that passage, though. I could go back there. There's lots of other verses. We're going to look at the first marriage, which is where? Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. God officiates the first marriage. First wedding ceremony. Genesis chapter 2 and 3. We're going to look at the good, the bad, and the ugly. And then the, the second passage we're going to look at is Ephesians chapter 5. And normally we just go to Ephesians chapter 5, 23 through 33. There have been men who've written books just about that particular pericope, that particular paragraph, 22 through 33. But actually what I'm going to have us see is what I believe the hinge of that comes before that, all the way back to verse 15 of chapter 5, about God's design, God's blueprints for marriage. So my talk tonight is about blueprints, God's beautiful blueprints for marriage. I'm not going to get into the, the problems of doing it a different way. I'm going to give you, hopefully, a, a clear, simple picture of marriage God's way. So you get this clear symbol, this clear picture of the true ideal that God has for men and for women as they join in marital union. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, as I said, we're going to walk through this, this story lane of God's love. And the, uh, Genesis chapter 2, let's look at the good first, the first marriage. Here's the good part. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 and following. Then the Lord God, Yahweh, said, It is not good for the man, Adam, to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So they say dog is man's best friend, but it's not suitable to fulfill and satisfy the longing of a man for love and for sincere relationship. Animals don't cut it. Something else is needed for helper suitable for him. So verse 21, so, so, the Lord God, this is an important word, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of the, his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God. See, this is repeated. Yahweh is officiating the first marriage. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the, the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Then the response. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called 
woman. One of my friends who's a pastor out on the east side of the country said, he said, whoa, man. Anyway, woman, this is good. Because she was taken out of man, for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So God officiates the first marriage, and we see that this plan is for Adam to have a helper, a helpmeet, suitable for him. And this is only possible not through uh, more naming of animals, but through someone different than him, but someone similar, but different. And it's not possible for Adam to accomplish what God has called him to do apart from the woman. So men, we can't do all that God has called us to do without the woman. And the woman cannot fulfill her responsibility and her calling as also an image bearer of God without the man. The two need each other, but the two are different. Unity within diversity. Different, but then one. They become one flesh. They, they consummate their marriage. This is, this is what this is speaking about. They become one, but they're different. This is not possible with man and man or female and female. They're different, but they're one, one flesh. And so God's definition of marriage is one man and one woman joined in union for life. That's God's original design. That's God's original blueprints. And so the man cannot do all that God has called him to do without the woman and, and the woman cannot do all that God has called her to do without the man. And they're to be fruitful and to multiply and rule and lead together their family to love one another. But all the best laid plans, even if you are following God's way, sometimes go a little haywire. So I need to tell you a story. Stephanie and I were blessed with... Yes, you, I hopefully won't get you too embarrassed here. Stephanie and I were blessed with a, a, a really a wonderful dating courtship relationship. Uh, the terms dating courtship, um, you can use either one. It just depends on if God is in your relationship and leading you. you. I don't care what you call it. Just have God leading your relationship and have others around you speaking into your relationship, okay? So I don't want to get hung up on whether you're courting or dating. It's what do you do, okay? What, how are you leading your relationship? Stephanie and I had a, a wonderful relationship through our courtship dating scenario, and God blessed us with um, almost nearly a free honeymoon. Three, four days we spent at Lifeway Ridgecrest Conference Center, which is, a, which is a Baptist conference center in western North Carolina in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. And we walked into this, this, this suite, this, this minister's suite, and I got a minister's discount. It was great. And we went, well, wow, there's, there's a kitchenette and a big living room and a porch with two rocking chairs, and there's a, a big bedroom with the king-size bed and two bathrooms. And so our first night there, I thought, wow, this is, I really want to set up the room to create the ambiance. So I got a bunch of candles. We had all these little 
what do you call them, tea light candles or something, and big candles, and I, I had about 30 or 40 of these candles. So I put them all over the room, you know. I don't know where I got this idea, but I put them on top of the, 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 the furniture, and I put them on the nightstand next to the bed, and I, I, all over the place. And some of them, there were aromatic candles, and so it's smelling, you know, like smoke and aroma, I don't know. Was, and, and Stephanie, meanwhile, is in the, in the restroom getting herself ready for what married couples do in their honeymoon. And... Uh, and I, meanwhile, working my tail end off to try to create this. And then I got a Josh Groban CD, and I put it in the CD player. I'm like, this is going to be great. You know, it's going to be all romantic, and I'm going to read the Song of Solomon to her because that's what I heard Tommy Nelson did to his wife. He read the Bible to his wife on their honeymoon, so that's what I'm going to do. And so Stephanie comes out of the bathroom, and she's going, wow. Wow. You, you've been working hard. <laughs> and... And I said, well, you know, I'm trying to make it romantic. And uh, so, you know, and we're kind of looking at each other. You know, which sometimes happens, especially when you save your, yourself for marriage. You know, you just kind of like, whoa, man. <laughs> That's a good part of pure honeymoons. Anyway, some of you are uncomfortable. I'll move on. <laughs> so... Stephanie and I started kissing a little bit, and uh, I was looking into her eyes, and I noticed this, this orangey glow on her face, and I thought, oh, that's just all my candles, and then I actually started to feel behind me that it was really hot, <laughs> and I turned around, my glasses were off at this point, and by the way, I'm blind without my glasses. So I turn around, and all I see are flames everywhere. One of the pillows had nudged over onto my little candles on the nightstand, and this cotton pillow is bursting in flames. I go, ah! And I grab the pillow, two of them, and I run into the bathroom, throw them in the shower, turn the shower on. Ah! You know, there's smoke everywhere, and then the fire alarm goes off. No, no, this is the worst day of my life. <laughs> By the way, this is a Christian conference center at that point was filled with junior high campers <laughs> in our building. We were on a separate floor, but the whole fire alarm went off in the whole building. So we're not going anywhere. <laughs> we're not going out there with all the kids. <laughs> no, no, we are not dressed appropriately for that. And the fire alarm is blaring and blaring. I finally get the pillows extinguished. Stephanie puts on my bathrobe, and she goes and sits on the porch, crying her head off. I can't believe this. And then the worst thing happened. We thought we were past all of the problems. The fire alarm finally turned off, and we heard somebody pounding on our door. Because apparently they have zones with the fire alarm. And where it started. And so we hear this. What's going on in there? <laughs> Stephanie really hit, really hit. And I, I, I come to the door and I say, well, um, we're on our honeymoon. We're not junior high campers. 
The guy sees a pile of wedding gifts in the middle of the living room floor, and he, I think he put two and two together. Stephanie did not come out of hiding at that point. I said, well, um, we had these candles, and the, the pillows caught on fire, and I put out all the candles. They're all out. Good. Okay. Oh. So then he says, well, I'm going to try to figure out how to make sure the zones are all shut off so the sprinklers don't turn on. <laughs> and so Stephanie comes out as soon as he shuts the door. Is he gone? <laughs> this is the worst night of my life. <laughs> and then he comes back. And, he, and, and Stephanie crawls out of hiding and he looks at her. <laughs> and he says... I've heard of hot honeymoons, but this one takes the cake. <laughs> they didn't charge us for the burnt pillows or even the melted CD player. It was really kind. He wouldn't even take my $20 for it. So even though we were trying to follow God's plans, and sometimes things go chaotic, so even though this is in, in marriage, things are going to go crazy. Um, not necessarily because you light candles over the place, but now we highly recommend in prenatal counseling sessions to not use real candles on their honeymoon. Please get the electronic or battery-powered ones. But the big problem that causes chaos in marriage when you are following God's way especially when you're not, but even when you're following God's way is when sin enters the picture. And this is Genesis chapter 3, when things go from good to bad. Good to bad. Verse 1, verse one of chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her. And like I said this morning, he was standing right there. Was he leading his wife? Apparently not God's way. And he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together, this makeshift clothing. Fig leaves don't work, trust me. And made themselves loin coverings. And then they heard it. The sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He knew exactly where Adam was. He wanted Adam to answer him. Then the Lord God called out and said, where are you? Verse 10, he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? 
Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the tr- from the tree and I ate. So here, becomes, here comes the pecking order. She did it. It's, it's, I, I was just standing there and she handed me the food. It's the blame game because sin has entered the picture and they're broken. They're broken. And they're running into hiding away from the God who made them, who loved them, who officiated their marriage, who designed them perfectly for one another. They're running and hiding from the God who created them and loved them. And they're blaming each other. That's a marriage with sin. They've chosen to disbelieve the word of God and instead believe the word of the serpent, Satan. And many people in our generation are saying, I don't believe what God has said about marriage. I don't believe what God has said about sexuality. I think that I can be fulfilled by cohabiting with my girlfriend, by doing whatever pleases me. And this me kind of marriage, we think, they think it satisfies but it doesn't. And they're choosing to disbelieve the word of God and believe their word and the lies of the enemy. He's not uninvolved. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So here's the pecking order again. She did it. The snake did it. It's not my fault. It's the blame game. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat in all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. The effects of the fall into sin impact not only what happens in creation, but also what happens in our relationships. And Alan Ross, this Old Testament scholar, he said, if we lived according to God's complementarity and to God's complementary roles for husband and wife, we wouldn't find this fact that the, the woman in her worst is the nemesis of the man, and the man at his worst dominates the woman. He's to lead her in love, but instead men dominate, want to smash woman into the place that he thinks she needs to be put in, and, and women choose to react as his nemesis and the blame game, and the fighting, and the screaming matches that maybe some of you saw at your home, or maybe still going on at your house. And God is inviting us to see that there's a better way. There is a better way for marriage. So the bad, the good is God had this beautiful original design, chapter 2. The bad is sin entered the picture, and everything intrinsically has changed or fallen Before Adam and Eve, they in their nakedness were unashamed. There was no fear of exploitation. There was no fear of abuse. 
There was no fear of, of, of violence against one another, but complete openness, love between one another. And now because of sin, they're, they're putting these makeshift clothes together with fig leaves and running for cover and blaming each other. And so it goes from the, bad, the good, the bad, to the ugly. Look in verse 20 now. Now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. And so God sacrifices the first animal in order to clothe them. And the only way for a husband and a wife to have God's design for marriage, for 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 the marriage to sing the gospel is for them to Return to the one who offers salvation and redemption in the picture of self-sacrificial love instead of blaming, instead seeking the satisfaction of the other and finding when they're fully satisfied, that's when you find true happiness. The good, the bad, the ugly. Now turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. In light of the Spirit's filling, that is the precursor to this whole talk about marriage, that you have been filled with the Spirit, you're to walk according to the Spirit. Look in verse 15, therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. You must understand that this has to be the way of your life in order to follow the marriage instructions following in verses 22 through 33. For your marriage to sing the song of the gospel, you have to be walking according to the Spirit-filled life. And what is the, the work of the Spirit? The work of the Spirit convicts us of sin, gives us power to, to follow God's way rather than the way of flesh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Instead, so we walk according to the Spirit of truth. The Spirit's work also is illumination. God, the Holy Spirit, helps us understand what the will of the Lord is so that we can follow it. And so when you want your marriage to sing the song of the gospel instead of scream the blame game or the vicious cycle of disrespect and unlove and unlove and disrespect, and then you have to walk according to the filling of the Spirit. And so in light of the Spirit's filling in your life, then we get to verse 22. Wives, he writes, 
be subject, or your translation might say, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And most people get hung up there and try to argue this away because it's so foreign to the 21st century culture. Wait a minute. You're saying that the woman is supposed to submit to the man? Aren't we on equal plane here? You are equal. Men and women are equal in the sight of God in value and significance. But there's a difference in role. But see, this is possible when the husband is going to love and care and lead his life according to the Spirit. Otherwise, it's not going to work. It won't work any other way. So Stephanie and I, when we first got married, I know we've not been married that long, but we have good examples in our parents of Christian marriage, and so we're trying to learn from them and learn from the spirit of truth what the will of God is for marriage. But suddenly we realized that there were some differences discovered. So for instance, shopping. Stephanie loves to walk around the mall and look at everything and smell all the candles in the Yankee candle store until I can't smell anything. And she, smell it, smell this one, smell this one, smell this one. And, and, and she'll stop by and look at all the home decor stuff. Not necessarily because she wants to buy anything, she just wants to walk around and see everything. For me, I have this goal, instead of looking at everything, I look at the time for Olympics of how fast I can get in and out. And so, unless it's Bass Pro Shop or Cabela's or Dick's Sporting Goods. But for some reason, when I walk in the mall and I know we're going to JCPenney, the energy just drains from my body completely. Like that. I don't know what it is. It's been like that since I've been a child. For going into Sears, uh, unless I'm going to go look at their chainsaws. But as soon as I go into a sporting goods store, I have all this energy. It's amazing. But there's these differences. So I... We have to learn to love one another and understand one another. That's why Peter says, live with your wife. Live with her, not in your man cave all the time, but live with her in an understanding way. Try and understand, how does she think about what she enjoys? How, why does she smell all these candles? Why does she like going into Bath and Body Works and looking at all the shampoo? This is hard for us guys, I know, trust me. But that's what it means to live with your wife in an understanding way. Shopping isn't the only thing, though. Uh, Christmas was a big deal for us. It still kind of is. Because Stephanie's family opens up presents on Christmas Eve. That isn't right. (laughs) That isn't right. It's supposed to be in Christmas morning. But her family did on Christmas Eve. And they go to a Chinese or Asian restaurant on Christmas Eve. And I've learned to enjoy these things. <laughs> and we compromise. The bathroom. I remember when we were in our first apartment. And I looked at that toothpaste tube. And it was squashed right in the center. And the cap was off. And I thought, that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not right. And so, as stupid as we were, we bought two different toothpaste tubes. So I had mine in the drawer with the cap, and it was rolled up at the bottom, and she had her somewhere else. <laughs> Trust, we've moved, we compromised, we're back down to one toothpaste tube now. 
And that's really what this, this give and play, learning that the husband loves his wife. This is what Paul is going to get at. Wives, submit, respect to your husbands. It's only possible when you're willing to live with each other in an understanding way and not say, my way or the highway, or I'm going to blame you for this problem. Instead, see, we're both broken and we are in need of the gospel. You see? We both run to Jesus every day and we recognize our failures and our faults and the only way for our marriage to survive and the only way for your marriage to survive is by getting back to God's original design which is only possible through the gospel and returning to the truth of Jesus Christ and the grace of God, the just one upon the unjust, us. Yes, you're not perfect, guys. Women, you're not perfect either and we recognize that every day. And we run to Jesus, and then we can love one another. Otherwise, without him in the picture, it's impossible. Or else we'd just be chasing the bad and the ugly and blaming one another. Caught in that vicious cycle of disrespecting each other, not loving one another. So, Christmas, shopping, birthdays too, totally different in my house. You know, birthdays was, well, when you're three or five or 13, you get a big party for... Stephanie's Clayton clan, it's every year and everything is a big party and they have fun all the time. And I just don't get that. I think it's just spending a lot of money. No. I'm learning to enjoy it very much because I see how much my wife enjoys it. The essence of what uh, satisfaction is is not in running out to Meijer and buying what you think you want. It's studying your spouse and and seeing what they enjoy and then giving them what they enjoy, what satisfies them, what fulfills them, and in that is true happiness. How many of you parents find much greater joy giving your children gifts than receiving something or going just out to Home Depot and buying something that you want? That's the way God's built us, that our greatest satisfaction comes not through seeking our own satisfaction, but the satisfaction of another. That's how it works in the triune God. So marriage, husband, wife, different, but one. Each member of the Godhead, different, but one. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, from all ages past, has been rejoicing in love for one another by willingly submitting to the will of the other for the glory of the other, to love the other, And they're completely fulfilled. The three members of the Godhead completely fulfilled as one, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus willingly submitted to the Father and so that the Father would be glorified through him, would be made known through him. And the Father in turns then glorifies the Son. The Spirit then chooses to glorify the Father and the Son and they too choose to glorify the Spirit. See how this works? Different, but one. And guys, we are really different than our women. Very different. But we're called to be one, one flesh, unity within diversity. So look back at Ephesians chapter 5, 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. Kephalos is this word for head. Hupotasso is this word for submit or be subject. For the husband is the head of the wife, 
as Christ. So here's the picture. As Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. It's this mirror effect that the way in which Christ loves the church gives and fills the church with love for Christ. And the way in which a husband is to love his wife fills her with a desire to follow and lead him and love him. Christ is the head of the church. And in, in, in an in analogical and an illustrative way, the husband is the head of the wife, but Jesus Christ is the savior of the church. Husbands then, verse 25, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's the measure of your love. That's, that's the ultimate echelon. This, that as Christ willingly died for us, the just one, the perfect one, the righteous one, died for those who didn't deserve it. So husbands, you're willing to love your wife, to die for her. Love her with that kind of quantity and quality of love. Verse 26, why do you do this? So that he might sanctify her. This is the work of Christ. Also love the church so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives. And it's very important here that when he's talking about wives love your husbands, it's in the singular. So women respect your man, not, it's very clear there's, there's no room for polygamy here, even though people are now talking about that in our culture. Men, it's talking about one wife here. You love your woman. So husbands ought also to love their own wives, one's own wife, as their own bodies. Whoa, wait a minute. He who loves his own wife loves himself. So I am thinking about her well-being. Just as much or if not more so than my own well-being because we're one. That's how it's supposed to work in marriage, men. You don't put yourself before your wife and, but when you love your wife and love her like you love yourself, which is completely, right? It's okay to love yourself, but you love your wife in a sense you also are loving yourself. Because there's this, because there's this element of when you are seeking to satisfy the other, you, true, you too will find true happiness. That's how God's wired us. That's how God's wired us. When you seek for the fulfillment and the satisfaction and the joy and the happiness of your, of your wife, you will find satisfaction. This fits into sex life in a real way. If you're in it to get and to get and not to give, you will not be satisfied. But when you choose instead to give 
Instead, to give to your wife and to care for her and take the time necessary that she needs to find, to find satisfaction in intimacy, then you too will find your ultimate satisfaction in her happiness. It's true. Because when you love your wife, you're loving her as you love your own self, just as if you, as you love your own body. Verse 30, because we are members of his body. See, it's a return to the gospel. Look at verse 30. Underline that. Because. Because this is the reason this is all possible, and this is the reason why we live this way according to God's blueprints for marriage is because we are members of his body. We have this picture of Christ, and we return to him the goodness of the grace and the truth of Jesus. And God's design for marriage isn't possible any other way. And then he quotes Genesis chapter 2. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So he's admitting, the Apostle Paul is saying, this is an illustration, and, and so we can't make it walk on all fours completely here, or else... The illustration will get blown out of proportion because the marriage isn't literally Christ and the church. He's using it as an illustration, but he's also using it as a motivation. Husbands, wives, this is the picture of love and God's design for marriage. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, nevertheless, look at verse 33. See, this holds true here. Don't, don't miss the point. Each individual among you also is to love his own wife, is one's own wife, even as himself. Your time is, is her time. Your energy is, is for her. Your, res- your resources are hers. Everything that you have is now yours together as a couple. Each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. And so the role of the, of the husband and the wife in marriage in home is that the, the husband is to lead his wife with love. And the response of the wife to the husband who's leading her with love like Christ leads and loves the church is to willingly submit to his leadership. Now, this isn't a message for guys to say, hey, all right, take verses 22 through 24 and beat your wife over the head with it. No. Say, hey, the Bible says you're supposed to submit. I believe that, men, if you start working on verses 25 through 33 and loving your wife like Christ loved the church, she will want to submit. You see that? because the two go hand in hand. And author Emerson Egeritz wrote a book, Love and Respect, and he just basically built a number of chapters off this passage, that if the husband is not loving his wife, the wife will have extreme difficulty respecting her husband. And if the, if the wife isn't respecting her husband, he's going to have difficulty loving her. And so the two must be working together, returning to the gospel, the goodness of God every day, to love one another, respect one another, seeking the satisfaction and the fulfillment of the other. 
and finding true happiness in the plan of God. That's God's blueprints for marriage. But it's easier said than done. Because most of you, all of us, every day, if you're married, or if you're around your parents and you see their marriage, you realize sometimes they go down the sin route. Sometimes there's a lack of respect. Sometimes I don't see much love. And it's because we're members of Christ's body that we want our marriage to sing the song of the gospel so that it's a sermon to the world, to our kids, and in Christ's design for marriage, we also find the true happiness of God in his design. I remember when, uh, when Stephanie and I were picking out colors for my groomsmen. She wanted us to wear pink. And I said, no. And I was really adamant about it. It was. I did not wear pink. My groomsmen did not wear pink. I said, pink is for girls. And my groomsmen are not going to wear pink, and I'm not going to wear pink. We weren't even married yet. <laughs> and tonight I chose to wear pink because I, I realize if that makes Stephanie happy, then I can do that. Not that she asked me to wear a pink shirt. And it is a very light pink, too. She tells me it's not too girly at all, hopefully. So, men, this is how it's going to look for, for you to love your wife. I want you to look at a couple of principles here that Connie's going to put up. It's kind of two ways of saying the same thing. Displaying respect and love like Jesus Christ. Now go to the next couple slides, Connie. True satisfaction and fulfillment, write this down if it's worth two cents. True satisfaction and fulfillment comes when we focus on the satisfaction and fulfillment of the other person. Or else you're just going to hop on the vicious cycle and the blame game and the bad and the ugly and it won't sing the song of the gospel. And here's a different way of putting it. God's kind of love will invade. It invades your marriage when you focus on giving to the other instead of getting from the other. And in our culture today, when, when young people are surveyed by New York Times or Washington Post or whatever it is, when they're, when they're given a microphone on the streets of New York, what they often say is, marriage? I don't know. Didn't work out for my parents. I'm having a good time what I'm doing now. And if they, if they do have friends who are married, they'll say, my friends tell me, that if I am enjoying my single life just to stay single because they find it much more difficult to be married than to be single. And that's built on this idea of a me-centered, a me-marriage, that it's what I can get out of it rather than giving. And Christ gave his life for us. And so, husbands, you're to willingly give your life for your wife, and when you do, he'll find love, invading your marriage, God's kind of love. And wives, when, you're, when your man loves you like that, the Apostle Paul says, you, this desire to submit, to be subject to him, 
will fit into God's design. It works this way. That God's kind of love invades your marriage when you focus on giving to the other instead of getting from the other. So how many of you tonight are thinking, you know, I, I have some point in my life, um, maybe when I was a kid, I saw that my parents' marriage was, was, on, was on the rocks and they're divorced now. Or maybe you're hoping to get married someday and you look at this design for marriage and you think, I don't know if that's possible. Or maybe right now in your marriage, you're sitting here with your spouse or maybe your spouse isn't with you and you feel maybe wives incapable of respecting him. And the only way you're going to do that and you need to is by returning to the gospel of Christ for power, spirit, power of the spirit so that you can follow and love and respect your husband. And guys, you may be thinking, I don't know, my wife doesn't respect me. I don't feel like loving her. There seems to be no reciprocation. When I do, I feel like quitting. You need to return back to the gospel of Jesus Christ and say, the only way this is possible is to be filled with the Spirit And I want my marriage to sing the song of the gospel, so I'm going to return to the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ and say, my marriage is impossible apart from you. Will you do that tonight? Husbands, wives, future husbands, wives. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for this picture of of marriage, we see how you officiated the first one. And it started out good, beautiful, different, but, but one, different, two different people, man, woman, one flesh. But then how sin entered the picture, they rebelled, they didn't choose to believe your plan. And Lord, I think the hardest barricade in front of us right now for young men and women in this room, for married couples in this room, maybe those who've been married for four years or five years or 10 years or 50 years. I believe that the, the barrier, the barricade that we face right now is the wall of our own unbelief to realize that your plan is best and that when we choose to seek the satisfaction and the care of the other, then we too will find true fulfillment, and this idea of respecting and and loving. So, Lord, we pray, oh God, that you'd give us faith to believe and faith to act on our belief. Husbands, that we, us guys, we, we say to you, Lord, that we will love our wives as much as we love ourselves, No matter the cost, even if it kills us, literally, we will love our wives to sing the song of the gospel through our marriage. Wives in this room. Lord, the truth to them from your word is that they're to uh, submit willingly, voluntarily with joy to respect their husbands.
as the church follows your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray for the husbands and the wives in this room that you would fill their marriages with spirit power, that you'd return them to the goodness of the truth of the gospel every day, that they would pray together and stay together and live with one another, that the husbands would live with their wives in an understanding way, even if it requires them to walk into J.C. Penney or wrangle the kids to the grocery store. And Lord, I pray that the wives in this room, too, would lovingly respect their husbands for the glory of your son, Jesus Christ, in the marriage and in your church. In Jesus' name, amen.